0: Let's give it up for the band leading us in worship today. (laughs) Jesus for my family. Man, I hope, if you can't get behind that, something's wrong. Uh, We want to take a couple of moments. Uh, This is our first Sunday in 2024. So weird to say 2024. Is anybody else like, it's going to take me like a month to get used to 2024? But um, as you guys know, this is our first Christmas that we just did um, in the building and so amazing amazing and it's always good to take some time and thank everyone that made it possible Um, we had over 2,500 people walk through here through four services and that is by far smashing any record that we've ever set and so every family that walked through here that's a life change opportunity that through your giving serving praying sharing made possible. So can we give God a round of applause? We are referring to 2024 as the year of favor. That's the word that God gave me to give you, to give us. And we are excited to kick off this series called Something is About to Happen. And it's amazing whenever we have anticipation. um, And I think that if you're living uh, in the flow of what God is trying to do, there's always an anticipation of what? What is it? What is it that God is going to do? And before I get into today's message throughout this series, we're going to be looking at different stories where odds became stacked against God's people, and yet God was able to deliver through various and sundry ways. But before I get into today's message, I wanted to say, um, real quick, because um, this is something God kind of spoke into me, um, was that be careful, just be careful. As we go into 2024, be careful about not taking God for granted. And I know that, that no one in here likes to be taken for granted, and I am certain that everyone in here has been taken for granted at some point in your life. And it's never a feeling that you shoot for. No one's ever been like, man, I just, I just wish I could be in a relationship where I was taken for granted, you know? I wish I could be at a workplace where they just take me for granted, you know? I wish I could be at a church where they just take me for granted, where no one even sees me or cares if I'm there, right? No one aims at that. But the thing about it is, the reason why you often get taken for granted is because you are consistent, And the things that are consistent are the things that we begin to count on. And the things that we count on, we begin to take for granted that they'll always be there. And there's nothing more consistent than God, right? There's there's nothing more consistent than God. He's, He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. Ergo, isn't it easy to at some point, maybe, as we get busy, caught up in various things, that we begin to take for granted all that God is doing and has done for us. And it would be a shame, right? That you could walk into God's house and take for granted that he's going to just do it again. Now, all I'm saying is that we should be grateful. Grateful that God gives us a place. And I'm going to tell you, um, if you're new to Genesis Metro, I hope that you already had this experience. If uh, you didn't, then this is going to really not hit at all. But, What we hear repeatedly, and I've preached in a lot of houses of God, right? And I've preached at some churches where I did not feel like God was there, right? And I'm going to tell you, when people walk in here, they say there's something different about this place. And it's not because it's made of better material. It's not because we have this incredible um led board back here but it's the people because god inhabits the praise of his people so if his spirit is going to join us in the room we have to join our spirit to his and i think that we do that every week because our worship team brings it and then you know i'm gonna preach it and so when you walked in here today before you even sat in the seat there is something different and you might not even be able to put your finger on it but don't take it for granted that every house of the Lord that you walk in, that God is going to be there. And I just want to say, I thank God that He's here with us every single week. Every single week. And I suppose that you've already felt that um, as we walked in here today. And so now I'm going to have to you know, preach a sermon that measures up to this buildup. Okay, so um, today... Uh, We're going to be talking about a sermon I've I've entitled, Worship Your Way Out. And it's housed in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, one of my favorite stories. Um, It's a story of King Jehoshaphat. And just to give you a little contextual background uh, for all my Bible nerds, um, there's a a kingdom that starts off with David being king and then through sin and Solomon and choosing wrong women, which who hasn't? the kingdom gets divided, and uh, his, Solomon's son chooses that he, to listen to his friends uh, rather than listen to his dad, who was the wisest man to ever rule. Parents, you are not alone. You are not alone. Do you ever wonder why they choose the idiot friends that they have over your sagely advice? Does anybody ever like wonder that? Yeah, Solomon had the same problem. Anyway, I could go on, but that's not the sermon. So there was a divided kingdom, there was a northern kingdom that was Israel, and the southern kingdom was Judah. And so that was David's line of people, that's his tribe. And so today we're going to be talking about the southern kingdom of Judah. And there was a king named Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, that is, that is a strong name, right? And if, you're, if anybody is like getting ready to have a child, I tell you, man, Jehoshaphat, that would be sweet, all right? He is the original P-H-A-T-fat, Okay. For all my my Gen Xers in here, back me up on that one. Okay, so anyway, what am I doing? Here we go. It says, after the Moabites and the Ammonites, um, and with them some of the Mayanites, all the Ites, um, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, From beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Now, I know none of those names do anything for you, so I've chosen. I am a cartographer, so from time to time, I create my own maps, okay? And as you see, far to the north there is where we sit today okay? And this would be like, okay, the people of Balch Springs, Mansfield, and DeSoto were coming against us, okay? They were coming against us here in Frisco, Texas. If you've ever been to any of those places, I am very suspicious of Balch Springs because I don't know anyone that's ever been there. I don't know anybody that's from there, okay? So, like, I'm just saying, watch out for Balch Springs. And so, It says that they were at that place, so these three nations that were not friends banded together to come against Israel, and this is a physical representation that they were 50 miles out. So if you look at those places, those are 50 miles from Frisco, and that's when he found out that they were getting ready to attack. So point number one, the enemy doesn't need a reason. The enemy doesn't need a reason. Some of you would just do well to understand that you're trying to always figure out why people are doing what they're doing. Like, have you ever had that thought? Like, how is this person treating me this way when I have done nothing but try to help them, love them, like them, support them, maybe even given money. To them. Has anybody else ever had this? Like, where you're like, why is this person treating me this way? Like, you can't figure it out. What if I told you that we have an enemy that doesn't need a reason? that there's no dispute that is preceding this. There's not some argument. There's not somebody stole my donkey in the passages. And so it's just that there's an enemy that wants to take what belongs to God. And it's amazing how these separate nations were not unified, but their enemy Israel is what brought them together. And it's amazing how people will coalesce around their hate for something that's good or even godly. And so sometimes we inadvertently are unifiers of other peoples because they want to come against what is God's and they wouldn't have ever teamed up together except for the fact that they have a common enemy and that is what God is trying to do. And so here is this enemy that is coming up and is surrounding Judah. And I want you to know that it says that they were were on their way, right? They were at the sea. And I feel like there are always these seasons. It ebbs and flows. But I feel like there's always an enemy that is on the way. If you're in a season right now of peace, man, God bless you. And you should thank God and give him gratitude for that. But I promise you that if you just live a little while longer, the enemy is on the way. They're at the sea. They're at the gate, and they want to take what belongs to God. And so as you're thinking about when you face enemies, I want you to have a formula. So as your pastor, I want to constantly give you formulas for success on how to handle adversity. Whenever you are overwhelmed by an enemy, whenever you start to feel overwhelmed by something that you feel has more power than you possess. How do you react? How do you respond? It says in verse 3, Jehoshaphat was afraid. And he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So here we see that Jehoshaphat was afraid. And fear is a funny thing. Because um, the Bible has some interesting things to say about fear. And many people live in fear. As a matter of fact, there's. if you take the four personality types and you break them down, there's one that, uh, so let's say they don't necessarily break out evenly, but let's say a quarter. A quarter of people live in this constant state of fear. Like somebody's trying to take something from me. Like every day the world is against me and they have a foreboding feeling about what's going to happen every day. And they don't wake up with a sense of like wonder and excitement or a thrill or a challenge. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a, oh man, what's going to happen today? What's going to happen today? And, and I want to counsel you that, that the Bible does not say that fear is an ecosystem that you should live in. It's an emotion that you can have. It's it's a reaction, but it shouldn't be a routine. And so you have to start thinking about it. Are you developing routines based upon emotions that were intended to be reactions, but not a lifestyle, right? And so that can become a limitation because the Bible says something about fear. Look at this in 1 John. It says that perfect love, right, casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. So if we can have security in love, it says that that is an antidote to fear. And so I want you to begin thinking about how do you handle fear? Because the Bible says that we can face fear with faith and we can allow it to be replaced with God's love. And so when we fill up our hearts with God's love, then we have security. Because sometimes I think in today's culture, we're mislabeling certain things and everybody has an epidemic of anxiety. And I just want to, you know, I just want to come against that for just a second. Is that okay? Is everybody kind of would you guys like kind of let me just let me have this for a moment, okay? Saw a TikTok this week. Okay, so let's start there. I'm going to preach I'm going to preach a TikTok here, okay? And there was a woman, there was a woman, and, you know, I don't know how she got in my scroll, but she did. And uh, she said she had seasonal-based anxiety with depression based upon um, her decor in her house. She still had her Halloween decor up, and she knew she needed to put her Christmas decor up, but it was too overwhelming for her, and so she was depressed and full of anxiety, and she had a term for it like it was clinical, so she had been like to the doctor and diagnosed with seasonal-based anxiety with house decoration. Folks, come on! And I wanted to scroll so bad, but I had to see how it turned out. (laughs) She just droned on and on about this, right? And I'm like, this this is symbolic. This This is how our society is starting to decipher information that if you feel a sense of, you have to work hard, you have to do anything, and it's stressful, or it's a struggle, then we mislabel it, and we say we're now full of anxiety and depression, and we give, I think sometimes we give voice to these things, and then they, instead of becoming a reaction to be overcome with God's grace, with his favor, with his power, with prayer, To be replaced with something else, we sit down in it and we make it a routine instead of a reaction. And I want you to know, just because it's hard doesn't mean that it's an anxiety that you sit down in because life is full of hard things. Man, can I get an amen that you just just have to do some hard things? Sometimes I think, now, I am way off script at this point, okay? (laughs) Way off script but I'm gonna give it to you. I just think about the pioneers. Do you ever think about the pioneers? Like they're out there with an ax, chopping down a tree, making it into a wagon wheel. And I think, you know, any given moment, they start off with like 100 and they get to wherever they were going, which they didn't even know where they were going, right? And they got like 10 left out of the 100. I think that's stressful. I think that's anxiety, right? And now it's like, man, I gotta replace my Halloween decoration. (laughs) Christmas decoration. That, that's not anxiety. And the church said, Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I got to get up and I got to take a test. Oh, I got anxiety. No, you don't. You procrastinated. That's what that feels like. All right. So now we've set up the rest of the sermon. Jehoshaphat was afraid. Very normal response. You find out you're surrounded. You find out your enemy's coming against you. You feel like it's a greater army than you've ever faced. You feel like you don't know what to do. Yeah. The first response, be afraid. What does he do next? It says that Jehoshaphat prayed. I want us to break down his prayer into three concepts. First thing he does, he appeals to God's power. He said Oh God, aren't you the God that sits on the throne above and in your hand is might and power. You are the ruler of all things. I want to encourage you, whenever you start thinking about something that you feel overwhelmed by, you have to ask yourself, is there a greater power? And is God not the greatest power? And so he appeals instantly to where God's position is In the power structure, he says, God, aren't you the God that sits on the throne above? So, as you begin to pray, I would encourage you to follow this format appeal to God's power. And then he proceeds to appeal to God's past character. He says, Aren't you the God that drove out our enemies and gave us this inheritance? For your friend, Abraham. And I really want to nerd out on that, but I'm not going to. But man, what if God called you like his friend? Like that'd be, that'd be amazing. I don't think I've made it to friend status, you know, uh, yet. I, I want to. But it says that, that he appealed to what God had done. I want you to begin thinking about this. How can you know what God is going to do for you when you're overwhelmed? He's given you 66 books called the Bible... And he's written about every possible conceptual scenario and then told you what he can do for you when you're in that situation. And so how do we know what God is going to do now? We can look at what he's done before. So if you're caught up in sin, isn't it amazing that we have a God that we can know is going to forgive us if we ask? Isn't it amazing that if we're hurting, that he's able to provide healing? That if we've gone astray, he's able to provide redemption. How do we know that he can do this? Because he's written it down and said that's the kind of God that he is. So he appeals first to his power, and then he appeals to his past interactions with God's people. And then the last one we look at, he appeals to his promise. He said, you said, if we are ever in an overwhelmed situation, if there's like ever distress if there's ever this famine, this destruction, this, this, this overwhelming, like it could be a pestilence, it could be a sword. He names off several things there. And he says, if that stuff starts coming against us, you told us that if we stand in front of your house that has your name and we call out on you, we cry out out of our affliction that, God, you will hear And that you will save. He said, God, that's the promise that you gave our people when they built your house. So why did I tell you not to take for granted that God is in the house? Because I want you to have a place that you can know with certainty, not sometimes, but every time, that you walk through those doors that God is going to be in this house that we are going to stand in his presence and we are going to appeal to his power. We're going to appeal to his past character and we're going to appeal to his promises and we are going to believe that if we cry out, God, that you will hear and that you will save. Man, that's the kind of God that I want in my church. And the church said, amen. So pray. We have to pray and ask God to move on our behalf. Next, he goes into phase two. So again, if your marriage was feeling overwhelmed, if your finances were feeling overwhelmed, if your professional life was feeling overwhelmed, this is how I would pray. In phase two, he confesses. He said, God, this enemy is so overwhelming that we have no strength, we have no might to stand up against them. He said, Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Confession. He said, We are not strong enough and we are not smart enough. Now I want to take a moment, everyone that is really pliable and soft. You can check out for the next three and a half minutes. I need to preach to all of my fellow card-carrying hardheads, okay? All my stubborn people. They give you the card in about third grade. If you didn't get yours, you know, then, then you passed. But for all the rest of you, you know who you are, right? Does, does everybody that's married to someone who's stubborn know that they are? Does everyone that has a stubborn child know that they are? Say amen. Amen. All right. All right. So there's at least 50% of this room that needs to hear this, okay? When you are self-reliant, that is applauded in our culture. And it's a good thing, right? We we have a, a country that was built on individualism and merit. I think we're moving away from that standard, but I think it's the best standard. However, when we temper our desire to accomplish with faith, we must realize that even in our competence, there are some situations that are beyond us. I just wanted to ask you when's the last time you confessed to God, I'm not strong enough? God, I'm, I'm not smart enough. Had a gentleman visit our church for the first time this morning, walked up here, and he said, you know, my, my twins were premature and they weren't supposed to make it. I know the exact time that I asked God for help. And I said, I'm not strong enough and I'm not smart enough. And they walked in and I met both of his seventh grade children, twins, for the first time this morning. When's the last time you confessed it? You see, a prideful person can't say, I'm not strong enough. A prideful person can't say, I'm not smart enough. And I've lived long enough to know that there are some things that are bigger than me. And I promise you that if you have not been humbled yet, life will humble you. And I would rather you learn this lesson from me than to learn it from personal experience. That you ask God on a regular basis, God, show me. Show me what I don't know. Tell me what I need to know, not what I want to hear. When you pray, is it more you talking or is it you listening? Did you know that that was a part of it? Did you know that when you pray that you can ask God, but then you're supposed to listen to see what he says? I think, I think some of you are in a one-way conversation. <laughs> anyway, uh, you all get it later. But the last thing he says is our eyes where? Our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. I would just ask you this morning, where are your eyes? Where are your eyes? What is the vision? Where are you going? Is God at the end, is he the trophy that you're trying to win? Man, this morning we might need to reevaluate as we start 2024. We want it to be the year of favor, but how can we be in a favorable position? We have to confess, God, I'm not strong enough. God, I'm not smart enough. I need to adjust my eyes. My focus needs to be on above, not below. He is the prize. It says that he prayed and he confessed. Now, this is where, hmm, this is where I get excited. It says, Meanwhile, all of Judah stood before the Lord, so that all the cities gathered to Jerusalem, with their little ones, with their wives, and with their children. And I wanted to include this part, even though, again, I've had to edit because of, you know, it's 25 verses. I don't have time to preach it all. But can you imagine this scene? It's like we're beyond, like, getting the, the heads of the family together. It's like, no, this is one of those all calls. You know, everybody, everybody. You know, whenever it gets serious, it's like, we need everybody. And so here are these women and these small children, I'm just imagining these children, and they're watching, right? They're watching the king humble himself before God, and he's seeking the favor in the face of God. And they're wondering, like, they're going to see, like, what's going to happen? And it's amazing, like, I love it that we worship as families in here because we, we have this expectation, like, what is God getting ready to do? And they're watching You, mom and dad, they're watching you. Like, how are you going to approach the enemies that are coming against you? Are they going to see you appealing to God's power, to his past character, to his promise? Are they going to see you confess you are not strong enough, that you are not smart enough? How are they going to see you interact with life's greatest difficulties? What an opportunity to teach a lifelong lesson. It says in verse 14, and the spirit of the Lord fell on Jehaziel. Now, who is Jehaziel? Jehaziel is just the man of God. I want you to understand a distinction. King Jehoshaphat was the highest power on the political plane, but Jehaziel was a man of God. So he was a prophet. Please don't ever confuse the political person and the pastor person, okay? Please don't ever confuse those things. If you're appealing and looking for guidance from the political party and you think, He is the ultimate in authority. Can I just suggest to you that I would rather have a man of God praying for me than a political person advocating for me because it's God who's going to get us on track. It is not a political party that is going to deliver us. And so this morning I just want to encourage you, see the distinction. The most powerful person in the political realm was prostrating himself. He was seeking the face of God. He was humbling himself, but God delivered his word through the man of God, not through the king, through the man of God. And all of a sudden it says, the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel and he said these words. He said, listen, all of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Now what was his response? Up in the beginning, when he found out the enemy was coming, fear. And what is the first thing that God says in response to his prayer at confession through the man of God? He says, do not be afraid. Isn't it amazing that God always has the right word at the right time for exactly what you're going through. Like you walked in here thinking it was gonna be another Sunday, but somehow Pastor Tim knew exactly where you were at, knew exactly what you needed, and you never even been in here, it's your first time. you're like, how does he know? Because God knows, fool, that's how. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You will not need to fight in this battle. How's that going to work? He says, stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord. says, then Jehoshaphat bowed his head and his face to the ground. Do you think the kingdom of Judah had ever seen Jehoshaphat on his face. What happened? They joined him. It says, All of the people in Jerusalem fell down before him, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. So a prayer goes out Confession goes out, and then a word comes back. And then, as the word comes back, their response to the right word was worship. We must worship God when he gives us the word that we need and the church said amen. Come on, when he gives you exactly what you needed, isn't it amazing how you can turn it on and like the song, the sermon, the, what, the, the TikTok that you're scrolling, that day someone texts you, someone sends you an email. Isn't it amazing how often it's just the thing you needed at the right time and then what is your response He says that he gets on his face and he worships God. When's the last time you got on your face? See, don't tell me you're serious about solving the problem that you're facing when you won't get on your face before God. You see, there's a position, there's a posture that goes with a response to God. And almost always in the Bible, it's how can I get lower as I'm in the presence of the Most High? Because he is worthy of my worship. He's worthy of my honor. He's worthy of my respect. And then in church culture, I'm going to preach now. In church culture, it says that as Jehoshaphat and all the people bowed down, Here comes the choir director. So if you don't know who the Kohathites and the Korahites are, they're the worship leaders. And it says as Jehoshaphat was on the ground, all of a sudden they stood up and they started shouting and singing with a very loud voice. So there is a posture as we respond to God's word that is exactly the word that we need, but there's also a volume. I want you to know, when you get to heaven, it's not going to be quiet. Why do we worship loud? Because God's people worshiped loud. I guarantee you, if you found out that you were cured from cancer tomorrow, you would have a shout on your lips. I guarantee you, when those twins were delivered and he took them home from the hospital, there was a shout in his lips when you find the person that god directly and uniquely designed for you to spend the rest of your life with and you stood at the altar and said i do it was not something like oh i do no you were excited when i say kiss the bride every time every time oh my gosh he the guy gets excited for that part the whole other part of the ceremony you may kiss oh yeah okay your team scores a t- that's excitement. How do we sit in church and God give us the exact word that we need, and our volume is turned to two when it should be at 10? When you get an opportunity to worship, it should be at 10 every time. <laughs> Don't tell me that you want to overcome the enemy that's overwhelming you and not have a song Oh, my gosh. It says the next day, they went out to battle. And it says that Jehoshaphat consulted the people, and then he concocted. Now, this is where we, I mean, we don't know. It's sometimes the Bible, God told him the word, but he didn't tell him the how. So I think that we're allowed to freelance with inside the boundaries that God sets. So Jehoshaphat sets out an interesting battle plan it says that he took those same guys the levites specifically from the tribes or the sub uh, i guess it'd be clans of the korahites and the kohathites and it says that he set those worshipers out in front of the army now if you all have never studied war You will will never have found, like, just before the Marines landed, they sent in the choir. And, like, we are going to sing some songs before we invade Iraq in the Gulf War, right? That's that's 1991, 1990. I remember that like it was yesterday. It's like, imagine them sending in the choir, and, like, they're going to sing Bon Jovi, okay? Like, (laughs) That's that's going to be our battle plan. I just want you to think about this, okay? Jehoshaphat is in the fight of his life, and he says, hey, before we go out there, um, I'm going to take the singing guys, and I'll put them out there at the front, and I want you to sing a specific song. He had a song request all those years ago. He said, I want you to sing this. Give thanks to the Lord for, say it with me, his love endures forever. Now, what was his response at the first? The enemy is coming. He was afraid. What did we say? Perfect love casts out all fear. What is he singing about as they walk off into battle? Now that they face their fear with faith, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. The love of God has cast out all fear. Now watch what happens. Next verse, it says, as they began to sing, God began to win on their behalf so that their entire enemies were defeated before they ever got to the battle. As soon as they began worshiping, what happened? God started winning. How are you going to get out of what you're in? You're going to have to worship. Your way out. Worship is our weapon and it is undefeated. Someone sitting in this room, you better find a song in your heart if you want a solution to what is coming against you. They're already there. Man, Balch Springs, Mansfield, DeSoto. They are on their way. I promise you they're at the sea. They're ready to cross. Are you ready to answer? Are you willing to pray? Are you willing to confess? Are you willing to worship? And not that quiet worship. I'm talking about that loud worship like God saved your soul. I'm talking about that loud worship like the marriage was almost broken and yet God brought it back together. I'm talking about that worship like you should be dead, but somehow you're sitting in this room today. I'm talking about that worship... Whenever your kids have gone astray and gone through a dark season and you watched as you prayed faithfully that God brought them back into the light. That's the kind of worship that I'm talking about. Man, if you don't have that in here today, I pray that God would break you, humble you, and that you would find a song in your soul. Let's pray. Father, we ask. We ask today, God, for your power. God, you and you alone have that power. God, we recognize that you are the king. God, we recognize that you've done it before, and therefore you can do it again. God, we appeal to your promise for anyone who feels like the enemy is coming for them today, that if they would humble themselves, God, that they would stand in the house that has your name, which is this house today, God. And they would cry out, God, that you would hear and that you would save, God, you promised. And now on behalf of this people sitting in this room, God, we reach out and we claim that promise. Our eyes this morning are on you. And I pray today, God, as we return, the gratitude for the word that was given at just the right time. It would be through the song that's in our heart. Would you guys stand and worship with us? Are you ready?